oftentimes hard to maintain a balance, especially when it comes to presenting the Word of God. We are told that we are to teach the whole counsel of the Word of God, but invariably, portions of Scripture are emphasized over other portions of Scripture. It is often noted that the Jewish people, when they were anticipating the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were looking primarily for an earthly ruler and earthly deliverer. And they missed, many of them, the emphasis upon the one who would come and save them from their sins. They didn't have much anticipation that the Messiah would actually die. And it was necessary for him to die as the suffering servant, as the Lamb of God. Certainly that's found in the Old Testament, but among many of the Jewish leaders it was de-emphasized. And everything was about his coming as ruler, as king, and that he would deliver the nation of Israel. Well, we live in a time in which the exact opposite is taking place. As an evangelical church, we emphasize the fact that Jesus Christ came to save the world from its sins. And we talk about the importance, and very much so, of the need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And we make it about having a right relationship to Him. All of that is very true and very important and very necessary. But in emphasizing that great truth, we de-emphasize the reality of the fact that Jesus Christ is the very Lord. And He is coming back to this earth to establish His reign. He is going to physically reign on this earth over all the peoples of this world. And so this morning, I want to look at the joy that is connected to the Lord's reign. The Lord's reign. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 2, as we have been using these as our theme verses, verses 10 and 11. There is great joy because the Lord is born. Luke 2, 10 and 11. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. As Pastor Dave mentioned, the term Lord primarily refers to one of being a ruler. And as we think about Jesus as ruler, turn with me just a little earlier in the text to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, as the angel comes and proclaims the good news of the coming birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 1, verse 32. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And then these words, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, the throne of his father, David. Jesus will be a superior ruler to his father, David, for Jesus will have no successor. No one will rule after Jesus. Luke one thirty three. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, 
and his kingdom will have no end. There will be no end to Jesus' kingdom. No one reigns after he does. Jesus would be superior to David, for not only will he be a descendant of David, but also he will be a descendant of the Most High God. But we begin with the idea that Jesus is a descendant of David. Verse 32 of Luke 1. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And as both the Greek and Hebrew, father here means a descendant. He is going to be a descendant of David. And the genealogies stress that point. Matthew 1.1 begins the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew opens in tracing the genealogy of Jesus Christ back to David. Luke 1.27, it says, that an angel was sent to a virgin and engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. David continues to come up in this context. And the reason is because the Bible wants to make a connection between David and Jesus. And the connection is that Jesus is going to rule over a kingdom just as David ruled over the kingdom. But not only is he descendant of David, he is at the same time the Son of God, Luke one thirty-two, He'll be called great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The fact that the Christ is a descendant of David, while also being the Lord, is the great mystery of the Old Testament. Luke chapter 20, verse 41, uh, cites an example from the Old Testament. He said to them, how is it that they will say that Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. David therefore calls him Lord. How is he his son? That was the great mystery. How would the son of David also be David's Lord? That's the great mystery of Jesus in both his humanity and his deity. A descendant of David and yet very God incarnate. But our emphasis this morning is that he is a descendant of David. And the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross does not negate or mitigate the fact that he is Lord and will reign over all the earth. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and preaches the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection. He says, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and this Christ, 
this Jesus whom you have crucified. Now of a certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Understand he is the Messiah. Understand that he is the Deliverer. Understand he is the one who is going to take away your sin. But don't lose sight of the fact that he is Lord. The crucifixion did not end the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it did not end the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is going to return and he is going to rule literally over the face of this earth. And that thought brings two responses in the text in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. There are two great consequences, if you will, to the Lord's coming to earth at the birth of the Lord Jesus. First, God is supremely glorified in Jesus' birth. Notice Luke 2, verse 14. Luke 2, 14. I'll begin with verse 13 to give you the context. Luke 2, 13. And suddenly, there appeared with the angel. The angel had come and pronounced the birth of the Lord Jesus to the, to the uh, shepherds. Suddenly there appeared unto the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, First, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. It was not a wish expressed. It is not a prayer offered. Oh, that may God be glorified. It was a truth that was asserted. Glory to God in the highest. It was a proclamation. It was a declaration. God is glorified in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The sphere of God's glory. The glory of God is said to be in the highest. What is meant by that? Two things. First, verse 14, glory to God in the highest, meaning the highest glory is to be reserved for God. In the highest sense, God is to be glorified. There is no greater glory to God than the coming of Jesus Christ. The highest glory. And then it is the glory in the highest places. The place where one would want to receive glory. The place where glory is going to be the most magnificent. The place where glory is going to be demonstrated in its fullness. It is the angels, you see, appear at that point. Because they are declaring what is taking place in the heavenlies. All of a sudden, the shepherds get to see this heavenly host who are saying, Glory to God in the highest. They are praising God for what has taken place. And the angelic realm is amazed at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
They are amazed. I can't think of a better word than to describe them as amazed, as awestruck, as taken aback. In 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 12, it talks about the salvation that we enjoy and how it was written about by the prophets. It says it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now these words, things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. The angel, angelic world wants to understand. The angelic world is just taken aback. They are amazed and they want to understand what is taking place. Why would the Son of God come to this earth and take on humanity and be placed in a manger? They have some knowledge of this. Certainly they understand the Old Testament Scriptures. They, they understand the purpose of And the reason, but there is a a greater amazement. Just a, a wonder of why God would do this. Why would God act in this way? Why would God so humble himself to come to earth and take on humanity? They are amazed. And God is Glorified. God is glorified primarily because of his humility. Look at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. The manger was a sign. A sign that had two purposes. One to denote who the Savior was, so when they would find him, they know indeed that he was the Savior. He would be unique. He'd be the only one, the only baby lying in a manger. But more than that, the manger itself was a sign. It was a, a description. It was, it was a foreshadowing of the kind of Lord that Jesus would be. He would be humble. Behold your king, humble, and sitting on a donkey, and a borrowed donkey at that. God is glorified in the humility of Jesus Christ and especially in the humility of Christ's reign. David should have brought glory to God through his kingship. The very purpose of God establishing a king over Israel was to show forth God's glory so that the king would protect the people. The king would exercise justice and righteousness and holiness. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 12, it says, And David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. The next verse, Meanwhile, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem 
after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. There is a tremendous incongruity in those two verses and those two statements. Verse 12 says, David knew that God had established him to be king over Israel for his people Israel's sake. And at the same time, David took concubines and wives from Jerusalem. Why does it say that? Well, it points back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. And before Israel ever had a king, God put down some laws for the king. Deuteronomy 17, 17 says the king, Neither shall he multiply wise for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Now it shall come to pass when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. That his heart may not be lifted above his countrymen, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, in order that in order that he and his sons might continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. God said he should not multiply himself wives unto himself, lest the heart of the king be turned away. David multiplied wives to himself, and they turned his heart away. And one of the greatest downfalls in David's kingship was the time in which he was on the top of his palace looking out and seeing a beautiful woman taking a bath. And he said to himself, I have to have her. And he committed adultery with her and had her husband murdered. There were some real high points in David's kingship where he brought great honor and glory to God. Uh, probably the one that is most notable is David's slaying of Goliath. And he did so in order to bring honor and glory to God. But in his sin with Bathsheba, God was greatly dishonored. Nathan came to David and said, Because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you will surely be, will surely die. David had given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the name of God, to dishonor the name of God, to mock, to ridicule the name of God. David was to honor and glorify God. David brought tremendous ridicule against God. Jesus will be a superior ruler because he will bring true honor and glory to God because he will be a righteous ruler. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest upon his shoulders, 
And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government and of his peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So God will be glorified. But what I really want to emphasize to you this morning is the second great truth that comes as a result of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And that is, glory to God in the highest, and then the second consequence, and on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. The gospel itself is described as the gospel of peace. Ephesians 6.15 And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus brings us peace with God. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is no longer angered at us. And we can be in a right relationship with God. Jesus brings peace to our lives in granting us forgiveness of sins. Luke 7, verse 50. Jesus said to the woman taken in adultery, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She can be at peace. She can be at rest because she was forgiven. Jesus in conquering evil brings peace in our dealings with others. 1 Peter 3, 10 and 11. For let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil. His lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So there should be peace in our relationships with one another as a result of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's usually where it ends. That's usually the emphasis. Jesus Christ came to bring us peace. We can have peace of heart. We can have peace of mind. We can have peace in our relationships with each other. But that's not the end of it. That's not the whole story. That's not the final cause for joy. The great good news is that Jesus will come and rule over this world and remove all sin and evil of this world. And we will live with Him as King forever in which there is no evil, there is no sin. Isaiah 9, 7. There will be no end to the increase of His government or of His peace. Isaiah 11, verse 1 describes this future kingdom. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes sees. Nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor. He will decide with fairness 
for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins. And faithfulness, the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. It sounds to me like this microphone is off. Is that right? It is off. It's on. Okay. And also the cow and the bear will graze. The young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He will bring peace to this earth. Never lose sight of that great truth and that great hope. He will do away with sin and evil. I said before, heaven is not the end. There is the resurrection. And our eternal future is one of being with Christ forever and ever in an earthly experience. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. And he will reign over it all. And it will be an existence much like our present existence, except it will be one in which there is absolutely no sin, no evil, no consequence of the fall. It will be the utopia that God had always intended it to be. Isaiah 2.4 says this. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4 is a tremendous verse. If you want to see that verse displayed in a magnificent way, Pastor Dave uses all of the, the uh, technology I didn't this morning. I could have displayed. There is a huge wall. It's the wall that's outside of the United Nations building in New York City. And inscripted on that wall are these words from Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will, make up, will not take up sword against nation, nor will they learn war anymore. That's what is inscribed on the wall on the outside of the United Nations building. The purpose of the United Nations is to bring peace to this earth. To bring peace among mankind. To end wars and killing and misery and heartache. And so posted our United Nations building is a partial rendering 
of Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. Because it's actually Isaiah 2, 4b. What they left out was this. Quote, He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares. It's not the United Nations that's going to bring peace to this earth. It's Jesus Christ. He is going to come. And that is the only time that there will be peace throughout this earth. There will be wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and misery and heartache until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. But when he does, it will finally be over. There was a great tragedy in Newton, Connecticut. Sandy Hook Elementary School, where a whole class of kindergartners was killed. Twenty children, ages six to seven. Six adults in the school. And then, of course, the gunman's mother was killed as well. Twenty-seven people. And then the gunman took his own life. What a tragedy. What misery. What senseless series of killings. This year alone, in the United States, there have been 15 mass killings with a total of 84 people being murdered, not counting the incident in Newtown, Connecticut. This has raised a very appropriate question in the minds of many. And what I heard on the news time and time again was this question. How are we going to make our schools safe? How are we going to guarantee the safety of our children. And on one level, I say to you with a measure of sadness, we can't. We can't. We live in an evil, fallen world. And humanity doesn't want to face up to the reality that we are helpless. And stopping evil. People are going to put forth issues such as stricter guns laws. Should we have more metal detectors in schools? Should we have armed policemen in the halls? All kinds of things are going to be discussed out of a desire to make our schools safer. Should we want to make our schools safer? Of course we should. I'm not arguing for or against any of those things. All I'm saying is that the reality is in the end. We can't guarantee anyone's safety. We can't do it. But I say to you on another level, and you see the reason for great joy is because the Lord has been born. 
It will stop. It will cease. We will have peace on this earth. No more tears. No more sorrow. No more senseless dying. No more cruelty. No more selfishness. Because Jesus Christ will reign. Longfellow in his poem said it well. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unspoken, broken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. We have become so disillusioned that we have settled, yes, settled, in our understanding of peace that is merely inner peace or personal peace in our relationship to God. And that is wonderful. But that's not the whole story. The peace that we are looking for is peace on this earth. And it will come. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. The Lord has been born. He's coming again. He's bringing peace to this earth. May we long for that day and give glory to Him alone. For it is only through Jesus Christ's coming that this world will ever know peace. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you have come and the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. And when he does, he's going to bring peace to this earth. And we are thankful that we're going to be able to be with you for all eternity in a place of peace. Living our lives much in the way that we live them today, but in a world that will honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ that will own Him as King, gladly serve Him, render unto Him His due, and joy in our relationship with one another, free from all evil and sin. And so we say, O Lord, come quickly. Deliver us from the evil of this age, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.